0: This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamar Labicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going
1: to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change, to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment, um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. We're going to start today with a text from Pirkei Avot that is pretty well known, even if it often generates some strong feelings. Rabbi Shimon says... One who is walking along their way and repeating their studies, that is, like reviewing, and stops and says, Mana e ilanze, how lovely is this tree, and how lovely is this newly plowed field? Scripture considers them as if they are liable for the death penalty. So that is a really strong statement. It seems to be that the wrongdoing here is about foregoing Torah study, that is, like, stopping learning to comment on nature. But I think many of us, like certainly speaking for myself, right, like, want to see those as parts of an integrated whole, right? I am a person who loves studying Torah and finding access to the sacred through Torah study. And also I want to be able to find the sacred in the natural world and to stop and feel awe at seeing a beautiful tree or a beautiful field, right? And see those as parts of an integrated whole. So for people like me, this text sparks a little bit of frustration, but we'll come back to it because I think there are some perhaps more palatable readings. But more recently, I discovered a text from the Zohar that I think in some ways is the flip side of this text and actually includes one of the same characters, right? So the, this teaching from Pierre Avot is taught by Rabbi Shimon, and he's gonna be the first on this list in the Zohar. So Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Abba, and Rabbi Yossi were sitting under the trees in the Valley of the Kinneret. Rabbi Shimon said, how beautiful is the shade with which these trees protect us. Let us crown them with words of Torah. So I'm not 100% sure what it means to crown a tree with words of Torah. I think perhaps that's an invitation to Torah study, right? They're sitting together under the shade of trees and appreciating that element of the natural world. And that calls Rabbi Shimon to say that actually perhaps somehow sitting and studying Torah together under this tree enhances nature. The words of Torah are inherently beautiful, but somehow they actually offer more beauty to the tree than it has in its natural state.
0: I feel like the second text is lovely and we can say a lot of nice things about it. <laughs> and the first text causes a lot of questions. Yeah,
1: I mean, I wonder, sort of one of the ways that I've heard this interpreted that really resonates with me is that perhaps the problem in the first text is the idea of mafsik that a person stops their learning to reflect on nature, and perhaps that individual is actually seeing that as a stop, right? So they're saying, oh, I was learning Torah, I have paused that activity, and now I'm appreciating the beauty of the natural world. And that actually seeing those two things as activities that have nothing to do with each other, that that is actually the flaw. That when you see Torah study as one thing and the natural world as one thing and can't integrate the holiness in both of them as part of one system, all in service of the same divine,
0: that like that is actually the moment where everything breaks down. So why does it say scripture considers him as if he is liable for his life? Aren't we at the point where we know that scripture isn't doesn't making say that. judgment? <laughs> A doesn't say that, but the story is told within the context of an interpretive book. And I guess the form of it is is very much like, we found this statement in scripture, this is what it means. But do they explain where in scripture they're getting that from? They don't, okay. which is
1: actually pretty common for the Mishnah. So it's, huh. it's pretty rare that the Mishnah itself quotes verses. It's often clearly building on verses, right? It's like clear that it it's coming out of the Torah in many ways, but it's very terse, and so it often doesn't tell us exactly what it's using for source texts of things, and then the rabbis in the Talmud will come in and say, like, oh, like, this is where the rabbis of the Mishnah are getting that from, and they'll provide us with verses. But I will say this phrase, ma'alea hakatuv, scripture considers him as if, is a fairly common rabbinic phrase, and I had never thought about it that much before, but I think Perhaps it's doing exactly what you're describing, which is to say, we, the rabbis, are interpreting that this is how the Torah would see X, Y, or Z activity, right? They're not always necessarily giving us the justification because they're saying, well, we want you to trust us as interpreters of this tradition to say that, like, this is how that would be viewed, even without providing us an exact chapter and verse that they're drawing that from.
0: Right. Right. So what comes to mind for me is there is an injunction in the Torah against worshiping trees as Mm. divine beings. Although the plowed field kind of throws a little fork into that. But maybe... Maybe with the plowed field, to me, when I heard the juxtaposition of the tree and the plowed field, the tree is something created by the divine. The natural world is not Mm man-made. However, a plowed field is a very man-made object. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, looking at the tree and stopping your Torah maybe could be interpreted as worshiping the tree. That's the only thing I can think of. And then there's nothing really in the Torah about worshiping a field, but on the other hand, there are man-made idols that were asked not to worship. And perhaps this is the student worshiping the works of humankind yeah, I in mean, parallel with the divine. That's all I can come up with. No, I,
1: I actually like that a lot. And I think that we certainly don't have an injunction not to worship a plowed field, right? That feels like a little specific. But (laughs) we do have a caution in the Torah against thinking that we did things alone, right? Against looking at things, looking at wealth that we've amassed or things that we've made and saying, my might and the strength of my own hands made this for me. And maybe that's part of what we're getting at here too is like we're not supposed to worship the natural world and we're also not supposed to worship human creations and sort of like a reminder of like redirecting that energy towards Torah study which also then maybe it's also self-reinforcing right we're then focusing back on Torah study hopefully we're then getting the reminders of what we are supposed to be worshiping and what we're not
0: right your point earlier was that we shouldn't be separating Torah for one part of our brain and then appreciation of the natural world for another part of our brain, we should actually see that Torah and appreciation of nature are both a spiritual pursuit. And Torah has a lot to say about nature. And maybe we can bring our understanding of nature, appreciation of nature into our Torah study as well. And with the plowed field, again, We shouldn't have Torah in one part of our brain and then, like, human pursuit and human productivity in another part of our brain. To me, that's more of an ethical injunction. Mm -hmm. So when you are engaging with the production, whatever that may be, in the modern world, it's probably more business or service-oriented. Yeah, though I think it could also be art. Right. Right. The Torah's sense of ethics in that case. I mean, spirituality, sure, but, like, to me what it really speaks to is this ethical sense needs to be there with you the whole time as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right? Don't stop learning Torah or being engaged with Torah when you're engaged with the natural world or with the human world, but actually, like, bring that Torah with you, right? Like, allow that Torah to inform both the way that you're appreciating nature and the way that you're engaging with other human beings in an ethical way.
0: Right. And one more question I had is it says, he is liable, and then in parentheses, I'm not sure if you read this or not, for forfeiture of his life. Is that a phrase that's very common in the Mishnah? And what exactly is it trying to say with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the translation is a little bit clunky, which I think I might have said something slightly different. Right. The Hebrew is mitchayev chayev which is really a way of saying liable for the death penalty. Got it. That a person is liable to be killed for whatever wrongdoing they did.
0: Okay. So basically the Mishnah is saying if you're repeating something, like, and that's another thing that came up for me, which was interesting, is this is in the oral Torah period where you had to memorize the text mm-hmm. instead of having it in front of you. So what I took away from the text is the student is practicing that memorization so that he can fully be involved in this culture where Mm -hmm. you have to memorize things to be able to discuss them. So anyways, if you're walking, doing your memorization exercises, and then you pause to do something else, for whatever reason, then you're liable to the death penalty. (laughs) Yeah, I mean...
1: That is what this teaching is saying. Look, I don't think, we don't have any indication that any rabbinic courts ever actually executed the death penalty for somebody who interrupted their <laughs> learning to do something else. So I think right, like the language here is a little bit extreme, and I don't think intended to be taken super literally. But I do think, in defense of Rabbi Shimon here, in an oral culture, it is so easy for something to be lost, and, you know, the Mishnah is coming on the heels of the destruction of the temple and on the heels of the Bar Kokhba revolt, I think for the rabbis of the Mishnah, their learnings and their way of life feels really, really threatened. And when things are being taught orally, the way that you learn them is by walking on your way and repeating them, Right? the way, the way you memorize something is by saying it over and over. And if you lose your train of thought, maybe it's lost. Maybe you were the one who was holding on to that teaching and now that teaching is gone. So I do think, thank God we live in a world where like, Jewish life is robust and also where we have access to books, right? including all of these things that would have been at that time transmitted orally now we have in writing. I think it's maybe hard to appreciate the threat and the transience of we really need each of our students to hold on to that teaching and to really practice it and not get interrupted and not allow that text to be corrupted, right? You have to really be paying attention and say it exactly the same way and correctly each time because otherwise that's lost. So I will say, even as it feels harsh to say that that means that a student can't appreciate a tree or a field, I do have some respect for that impulse of like, we really need our students to hold on to their learning.
0: Right. And when you talked about the context of the Mishnah as this culture, which is teetering on parts of it facing extinction, that really brought to mind this idea of the species extinction that we're experiencing now. That, yeah, some people feel the same urgency and the same grief as maybe this rabbi was displaying in this work at the thought of the individual species that we're losing.
1: Yeah. Right. And I think there are also people who feel perhaps that same frustration that we felt at our first look at this text. Well, I can't focus on that one thing all the time. Right. And so Right, I do need to be able to stop and like appreciate a beautiful t- tree or appreciate a beautiful field or do something other than repeating this text over and over. And so for somebody who is so consumed by the potential extinction of an individual species, I think that can be all consuming yeah. um and it can be really frustrating that it feels like other people aren't taking that as seriously and maybe are doing some work on that and then also doing other things. And I don't know, hopefully, maybe our reading of this text generates a little bit more compassion for that too, that like there are people who are so focused on the task at hand that any interruption warrants the death penalty. And there are people who also exist in a little bit of a broader way and maybe are sometimes focused on that task at hand and sometimes need to stop and appreciate something else. And maybe both of those things are okay.
0: Yeah, I think that's the role of metaphor. Is sometimes you've looked at something straight in the face so many times that you can't register all of its complexity. Mm -hmm. And so taking it through a different story, putting yourself in the mind of a rabbi who's fearing the complete loss of his culture and history. and then reapplying it to ways we're living today is a way of freshening that up and being able to come at it with new eyes.
1: Yeah and I I think that like invites in the second text too which I think reminds us the rabbis are not so afraid for the future of Jewish life at the expense of appreciation of the natural world. These rabbis are like looking and being like, wow, like what an incredible miracle that we have shade from this tree to sit under. And wow, like we actually have a responsibility to that and we can use our learning to enhance that. And that like actually by sitting here and learning Torah together, right? We're not like ignoring the natural world and being laser focused on the text in front of us, but that actually somehow repeating this text under the shade of this tree, actually enhances this place as well. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group.
0: Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Lebicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Lebicki Feldman.
1: Thanks for listening and learning with us.